We've been in the Ten Commandments, and we're looking at the second week at this whole commandment about remember the Sabbath. And, uh, and, he, and I've told you even last week that out of all the commandments, this is the one I struggle with. This is the one that, that I think in my own heart that I really struggle with even understanding, let alone applying. And so throughout this, this study, I mean, I'm learning, I'm, I could say I learn more than you all because I have to listen to all the words that I say. Um, but I'm learning and God's challenging me. And, and I'm not sharing this from a standpoint of, okay, I've got this down, but, but these are things that, that God is challenging me on. They're incredible truths. Uh, that I think that God wants me to learn. I hope and pray that God wants you to learn with, along with me. We're going to be looking at the Ten Commandments or the Fourth Commandment, and, if, and, and specifically given in Exodus chapter 20. And so, if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open there to Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11, where we have that commandment. And, and let me begin by reading again what we have there in the giving of that commandment, Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor. And do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord uh, made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have to come together and, Father, to be able to dive into this. Thank you for giving us a day that you set apart, a day that we are to gather together, a day that we're to be still, to reset. Father, I thank you, and I thank you for the things that you're teaching me, and I pray now that you would speak through me and in spite of me. Father, help us to hear what you have for us today, to understand this principle. Father, to discover and live in the freedom that you want us to discover in this truth. Father, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we have been over the last uh, couple months looking at the Ten Commandments, really the first four of the Ten Commandments, really focusing on, on, on God's instruction to our relationship to Him. You know, they're really focused on, on, on how we relate to God. And so we began the fourth commandment last week, and I want to dive a little more deeply into that. The command is simple. Uh, we read it a moment ago, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath unto the Lord your God. Now, when we talked about this in the beginning of this of the series, and one of the things we talked about is a lot of people will say that the Ten Commandments are really important, um, but one of the things that really calls into question how important they really are is the fact that most of us can't name all ten. Uh, surveys have shown that on average, those who claim to be Christians uh, go to church regularly can name on average of seven. Uh, we kind of challenged those that were here that first week, you know, how many can you do? And I had most people come and say, I got seven or eight or nine. Very few came up with 10. Those that are not believers can name on average about three and a half. Now, what's interesting is that in those studies, they show that the most often forgotten of the 10 commandments is this one the fourth commandment dealing with, with uh, the Sabbath, which makes us question why. And I think the fact that it's the most often forgotten probably indicates that in the back of our minds, we may think that this is maybe the least important. We don't pay that much attention to it. But in that, it's one of the Ten Commandments, and, and it's interesting that God gave us this commandment before he gives us the commandment about not murdering and not commit adultery or not steal. So clearly, God believes it's important. 
And in the importance, it fits into what we've been talking about in this whole series, the series we've entitled Building Blocks. And, and, it's, and it's based on this idea that I really believe that the Ten Commandments are God's, God's foundational principles he's given us for building a healthy life and culture. Some people see them as just more rules, and there's a sense that they are more rules, but they're way more than that. They're these foundational principles that God wants us to build our lives upon. You see, if we see them as just more rules, what we'll do is we'll look at the main issue of being our behavior. Okay, am I doing the right things? Am I, am I not doing the wrong things? In the Sabbath, you know, what are the things that I'm allowed to do or I'm not allowed to do? And we're going to define it by behavior. But God is always way more concerned with our character, not just what we do, who we are. And so the principles that, that he wants to dig deep into who we are, our character. And the principles also in the sense that they speak this truth that transcends even what we do. It, trans, it transcends and impacts, it impacts reality. It impacts truth in such a way that it will change the way that we view our world. It impacts culture. And so that's why we've been using Jenga as kind of this picture of what the commandments are all about. You know, if you think about the game of Jenga, it starts off and you've got all these bricks and, you know, at one point you can remove certain bricks and you can get away, you've got to be careful, but you can get away with removing them. But as the game is played, certain bricks become foundational. You have the weight of the tower resting on those bricks. And if I take a foundational brick, if I take this one and half of the tower is on that, I cannot take this brick out without the tower falling down. I cannot take a foundational brick out without the whole tower being compromised. The Ten Commandments are, are like that. They're God's foundational truths that are the foundational of, of any successful life, of any successful culture. And you cannot remove them. If you remove them by forgetting them or break them, in time, the tower comes down. Our life, our culture collapses. They're all important. They're all foundational. But we have to then ask, okay, but how about this one? I mean, we tend to forget this one because we think, how is the Sabbath a foundational block for building our lives. You know, how should we see it as, as foundational for the culture? Now, even as I ask that, what's really interesting is that I, as I read in, about history, if I were to go back, you know, 60, 70 years ago and ask that question, or any time before that in American history, and I asked that question, people would have said, of course it's foundational. I would have gotten radically different answers than what we would get if we asked people today. Because America understood it as a foundational principle, so much so that across America there were all kinds of laws that prohibited opening stores and selling things and doing all kinds of activities on Sunday. It was seen as this foundational principle protecting something essential about the culture. Uh, they're often referred to as blue laws. Now, they're called blue laws in, in large part because in the 1800s when they would write different, uh, different things from the... Um, you know, Congress or things, if they were to write a law that had to be obeyed, they would write it on blue paper so everybody knew, okay, I've got to pay attention to this, this is, this is a rule. And, and so they have been referred to as blue laws because people say, well, these are things that were written way back then that, that are outdated. And so they, people refer to blue laws as things that they think that are outdated. And so Ohio had what is often referred to as Sunday blue laws, laws that, that in, instituted mainly starting in the early 1800s. And it banned most retailers from doing businesses on Sunday unless they could justify their trade as serving travelers or meeting some kind of necessary need like medicine. So it was illegal for most stores to be open. 
on Sunday. It was illegal to, um, you know, to sell things. And, and, and actually, if you open your store, you could be fined. You could be arrested. You could, you could have your store closed down and things confiscated. It was something that was seen as a really very strict rules. Then it was interesting to see how this was even uh, debated. 1959, a number of stores got together and they decided to sue the, sue the state of Ohio and say that, well, these are unconstitutional. We shouldn't have these. And, and they had a big um, um, courts, you know, big trial over it. And the judge ruled that while he didn't personally like the blue laws, they were constitutional. And so they stayed in place. Well, then in 1962, the Lawson Milk Company mounted a statewide bid to overturn the blue laws by putting on the election you know, a, uh, a, a constitutional amendment that said it would be okay for stores to be open. And this was a huge debate throughout the state, a statewide vote on the issue. And their motion was soundly defeated. The vast majority of Ohioans voted to say, no, we want to protect the Sabbath. It should be illegal to do business on Sundays. That was 1962, that was 60 years ago. So you had you know, grocery stores, things like that, they couldn't be open. Now what eventually happened is in the 60s and 70s, some, some uh, cities stopped enforcing them. And so what would happen is a city would stop enforcing the blue laws, the stores would open, customers would go there, and the neighboring city would say, hey, we're losing customers to them, we've got to open up as well. And so by the mid-70s, most of the blue laws, the Sunday laws throughout Ohio had kind of started to, to drift away. And, and for, you know, that's pretty much true in our country. There's some, especially in the South, it took a little longer, but by the turn of the century, pretty much throughout the whole country, we've done away with those things. And, and people say, you know, what is the impact of that? It's an important question. Some people look at business and say, well, business has done better. Okay, well, maybe our economy has prospered, but at what expense? And I ran across a number of interesting studies asking this, uh, mostly from non-Christian sources. One was from the uh, Ben-Gurion University in Israel, and it was a study looking at the impact in America of doing away with these Sunday laws, these laws you know, saying that things had to be closed on Sundays, and the impact it had on the happiness of Americans. And over this 25-year study, this 25-year you know, period, they found that when cities did away with their blue laws, the effect was basically a 17% decrease in the people that considered themselves very happy. So the happiness decreased by about 17%. And they're saying that it was primarily because of that one issue. Now that's a big thing. You think, okay, this is a good thing. Well, if it makes us less happy, that's not a good thing. Earlier this year, there was an interesting commentary in the Wall Street Journal of all things. Now that's a paper that you think is all about encouraging business but the commentary was about what we lost in rejecting the Sabbath. And it focused again on the studies that show these negative impacts of doing away with these laws that, that protected Sunday. And the article reflected on how many people argued that we need to do away with these laws because we would gain freedom. We need freedom to shop and freedom to sell and freedom to do whatever entertainment we want. And, but he said in gaining this freedom, we lost a greater liberty. We lost the liberty of our souls. So the result has been that, that families that beforehand had time that was protected, now they don't even have a half day together. They don't know how to spend time together. We're pulled apart by our ever-increasing busyness. And he argued that specifically these changes of laws have been a key contributing cause to things like skyrocketing divorce rates, low family formation, alienation from relationships, increase of depression and mental illness, 
the drug abuse crisis. They said all of them have significant uh, links back to doing away with this protection of the Sabbath. In other words, what he is saying is simply this. This was a principle that is foundational to the health of a, of a, of a life and of a culture. And he said, in the past, we knew this and we protected this principle and the culture benefited. But somehow in our wisdom, we thoughtlessly removed this foundational block. We've taken it out and what we see is these are the consequences, the towers falling in around us. So why is this so important? Why is it? We can not only look at it and say, well, God's told us this is foundational, but why? And to understand it, let's step back and see what the Sabbath is all about. It's it's not only telling us that we need rest, that, that our body needs rest, but it's, telling us, it's about our, telling us about our soul's need for rest. It's even deeper than what you would think. You see, last week, for those that were with us, we saw that the Sabbath wasn't just a new rule that God gave Moses and the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. It was actually something that God was repeating a principle that he had given at creation. And you see this in the Ten Commandments here. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then in 11, he gives an explanation regarding the source of the day's significance. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now here's what I want you to see. It's, God is clear. He said, okay, I made the world in seven days. At the beginning of creation, he set aside a seven-day week as the foundational period of time. And at creation, he said, I'm going to take one of those days and I'm going to set it apart and make it different from the other days. This wasn't something that was done on Mount Sinai. It was done in creation. And when Moses is now giving the law, it's not a new, it's not a new law. God's saying, I'm restating something that I did in creation itself. Now, here's a, an important question. Why did God give us the Sabbath? That's an important question. Why did God give us the Sabbath? Do you think it was because simply that he knew the limitations of our biology and of, and of our makeup that we needed rest? Now, that's a common answer, but let me ask you to think about that for a minute. Realize that when God designed us, when God created us, he's the one who designed us with those limitations. So in other words, he gave us those things, so that really leads to a really, really big question and that's this, did God give us the command to remember the Sabbath to make us aware of our limitations? Or did God create us with limitations to remind us that we need a Sabbath? So did God give us a Sabbath because we have limitations? Or did God create us with those limitations because he's trying to teach us something deeper about a deeper need? And I think it's the latter. I think that God made us with these limitations because he's trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell us that, that we have a need that goes beyond our body. We have a soul need, a soul need to connect with God. And he said, okay, I'm going to create you in such a way that you're not able to go 24-7. And if you do so, your body is going to start to wear out and you're going to get weak and you're going to become less effective. And, and I'm trying to help you be, a, be reminded of the hidden need of your soul. Why? Because our deepest need is connection with God. Our deepest need is, is therefore to rest from the distractions of the world so that we can focus in on God. And God's trying to, to create our body with limitations to remind us of that. Look at the commandment again. You see, it's not just to take a day off. It's more than, than that. It's remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And what does it mean then to keep it holy? God tells us. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's not only a day where you don't work, it's a day where God calls us to set it apart as a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's a day that is set apart to put aside distractions and to focus primarily on God. Now, do we need rest? Yeah, we do. And I've often heard the Sabbath taught from a simply pragmatic standpoint of saying, okay, here's the need that we have of rest, and if we don't get rest, we have physical problems and we become less effective. Now, that's true. And that, that's part of the message, but that's not the whole. Let me even give you an example. Okay, there's a guy named uh, Dan uh, Butterner that spent several years researching parts of the world where people live longer than average. And, and in that, he found one group in America that had a you know, 10-year life expectancy beyond the average American. And those were Seventh-day Adventists, people who, by their theology, their highest priority is to putting aside the Sabbath and protecting them. Now, he commented on his findings. Let me read his comments. He said, they take the idea of Sabbath very seriously, and so they're decompressing the stress. He continued, about 84% of healthcare dollars are spent because of bad food choices, inactivity, and unmanaged stress, and they have these cultural ways of managing stress through their Sabbath. Now, here's a non-Christian writing this and saying it's their Sabbath that makes a world of a difference. Now, let me make it even more interesting, all right? If, if we were to take, let's say, if I'm going to take Sabbath every day, strictly observing the Sabbath, one day a week, the average life expectancy is about 70 years. And if I were to do that then for 70 years, that would add up to 10 years. So I've taken 10 years of Sabbath. Now it's interesting, Sabbath-day Adventists, how long, much longer is their life expectancy than the average American? 10 years. I wonder if that's somehow related. That it's God saying, okay, if you take the Sabbath, what you give to me, I'm going to give back. You see, it's essential. But what we need to realize is that while that's part of the truth, it's not the whole truth. Because Sabbath isn't just about biological rest. God created us with this need to point us to this deeper need. He wants us to be able to stop and slow down. And he's saying, if you don't, your bodies are going to break down. But I want you to, to know that so that you see that you have a need to slow down and rest to God. In fact, this is a truth that's not only interwoven into culture or into creation, into our, our, our DNA. It's, it's something that's interwoven into the gospel itself. And so let's even look, take a few minutes and think about the, you know, this whole idea of the creation and our need of rest and the fall and God's work of restoring creation. Now, it might seem like I'm going to go on a rabbit trail, but stick with me. I hope it's going to come all back here and you'll see how it's all connected. One of the most common questions that we get, and numerous people asked last week, and we had online, and people ask questions online. They're saying, but wait a second, um, you know, the, the, this calls us to set aside the Sabbath. God rested on the seventh day. He set the seventh day apart. The seventh day is Saturday. Why does the church worship on Sunday? Well, that's a good question. Jewish people, they've always worshiped on Saturday. That's the seventh day. Sunday is the first day of the week. So why do we celebrate, why do Christians celebrate Sabbath on Sunday instead of Saturday? Now, a really brief answer is that when you look in the Bible, what you find is that when the Bible speaks about when the early church met, it always describes them meeting not on the last day of the week, but on the first day of the week. So we see in the example of the early church, they're always meeting on Sunday. They had switched, the early church had switched their celebration of Sabbath to Sunday. 
So you see 1 Corinthians 6, 2, Acts 27, other passages like that, that tell us that that's when the church met. And so this change is then also affirmed. So if you go back in church history, from the very beginning of church history, you see the church following the example and what they believe to be the teaching of the Bible, that the church should change their celebration of Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. But let's not just stop there. Let's go back and say, okay, why is it that the church changed? And, and, and I'll admit, this is something that I, in all my years as a Christian, even as a pastor, I've never really understood this that well. And, it, and it's one of those things that I just think about it and pray about it, and then God finally opens it up. And, and, and at least I'm excited about it. It's beautiful. I hope, that, I hope I can explain it with the beauty that God has shown it to me. Let's kind of go back and understand the whole picture, okay? Remember that when God created the world, we're told that he did it in six days, And then he declared what he created good, and then he rested. And so he saw the good in his creation. Genesis 1 tells us that after each day, God spoke that that word of creation, then 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 he said it was good. And then he created man in the sixth day, and then at the end of that creation of man, we're told in Genesis 6, or 131, that he looked at the whole creation. Look what he says. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, And it was evening, and there was morning, and the sixth day. And immediately after this declaration of it being very good, we're told that then God rested on the seventh day. The very next verse, Genesis 2.1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host in them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because uh, because on it God rested from all his work, and he had done it in creation. Now, again, was it complete because creation was done, or was it complete because it was good? Was it complete because it was what God created it to be? And because it was good, and he said, okay, this is the way the creation should be, therefore I can rest. And is it related to mankind? What is that very good? Well, the good is the ultimate rest is relationship with God. And so God created man, and so that we were in perfect relationship, so much so that Adam and Eve would walk in the garden with God, be in his presence. That's very, very good. But something happened that destroyed that relationship we were created for that was so significant that it marred the whole of creation. It happened when, when Adam chose to sin through the fall. And suddenly, the world was no longer very good. When Adam and Eve rejected God's authority and sinned by eating the fruit that was prohibited, sin came into their lives and it destroyed their relationship with God, the relationship they were created for. They were separated from that relationship with God that they had enjoyed because of their sin. And now those of us who followed after them, we're all um, descendants of Adam and Eve. We've inherited that sin nature. And because we have that sin nature, we are likewise naturally, apart from God's intervention, separated from God. We can't know that, that his presence. We can't walk with him in the garden like Adam and Eve did. And it's not only that it broke our relationship with God, it literally then, the impact of sin is that it broke all of creation. This is what Paul talks about in, in Romans chapter 8, how sin came and it's broken creation. Look what he, how he describes it. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, I want you to see, number one, creation's broken, and number two, God has a plan to fix it. That there's a, there's a time that it's going to be freed from that corruption. 
Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. There's something in us that's groaning to be fixed. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. So God created this perfect world. It was perfect and he rested. And then sin came into the world and it marred his creation. He created man to have a relationship with him and to rest in, in, in perfect relationship, walking in the garden with him. But because of sin, we are unable to have that relationship. We're unable to experience the full nature of God's rest that he created us for. So what did God do? God ended his rest. You see, at the end, it was very good, and God sat down, and he rested. And now he saw the brokenness, and God gets up. Now, who is the one? When we think of creation, what does Colossians say about who was the, the, the person of the Godhead who created? It was Jesus, the second person, who is the one who created all things. He is the source of all things. And the one who sat down now gets up from his throne and says, okay, now I've got to come and I've got to fix what is broken. And Jesus takes on human flesh and he then does the work of restoring the creation that was broken. He comes and he does this, this miraculous work and what we see in the Bible is that after the fall, everything is pointing toward the work of Jesus and what he was going to come and do, that he was going to restore that was broken. And then when he died on the cross, he takes our sin and he takes the punishment for our sin upon himself. When he rose again from the grave, what he did on the first day of the week in his resurrection, he defeated sin and death. He had ultimate victory. And this was a work of restoring Things, to, the first part of restoring to what was supposed to be. It was a work of recreation. That's Paul's point when he talks about in Romans 8. That creation is groaning and it's longing to be restored. And there's a place where Jesus is restoring. And ultimately it will be restored. It's longing to be redeemed. In fact, we see this in one of the first sermons of the church in Acts chapter 3. Paul, Peter's talking about this very idea and look at how he describes Jesus' work. Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. What did Jesus come to do? He's restoring all things. He's setting everything right. He's recreating to the place where it was supposed to be. And this is something that is throughout, you know, he says it's throughout the Bible. The prophets have been, the whole message of the Bible is this. Okay, let's talk about us. Okay, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we do so through Jesus Christ and what he accomplished at the cross. And our identity is that, first of all, you are created in God's image. You're in an image bearer of God. That's a beautiful thing. But that's only part of your identity. Your deepest identity as a follower of Christ is that you have been created new. That you have been created new. Your primary identity is that second work of creation, redemption. Look at how it's described as a creation work. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if any was in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, this passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus recreated. It's a new work of creation. There's in numerous places. One more, Galatians 6. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now, what you need to see here is that we are a new creation. God did a work of recreating, restoring the design. And he did it through the death on the cross, sealed in his resurrection. And now let's go back to Hebrews. And what do we read about where Jesus, he rose up, he came, he accomplished this work, and then what do we read he did afterwards? Hebrews 10. Oh, I'm sorry, this verse isn't on the, on the slide. I'll just go ahead and read it. It says, Hebrews 10, when Christ had suffered uh, for, for all time a single sacrifice for sin, 
he sat down at the right hand of God. What did he do? He sat down. He rested. He rose again, and then he rested. And he's resting now because his work was done. Not only the first creation, but the second creation, the restoration, it was done. My friends, we celebrate Sunday as our ultimate day of rest because that's when God rested from his ultimate work of creation, his final work of redeeming creation. And not only that, we celebrate the first day because it even has a deeper meaning. It's, it's reminding us the fact that God invites us into that rest and what that rest means. Again, remember the truest nature of our rest with God is a rest is our relationship with God. It's, it's connecting with him deeply. Adam and Eve were at perfect rest because they had perfect relationship with God, so much that they could walk in the garden. Now, because of what Jesus did, because of what he accomplished at the cross, we can once again know the full nature of rest. We can have this relationship with God. It's not only resting from work. It's resting to God, being connected to him, the relationship that we were longing for, that we were created for. That's the idea of Hebrews chapter 4. Look what it says about Sabbath. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever entered God's rest have also rented his works as God did from his. Rested his works as God did from his. Now what is this rest? Relationship with him. When we have relationship with him, we rest ourselves. Now what is the work that we're doing? We're trying to earn our way back to God. We're trying to make ourselves, we're trying to do religion. He's saying, once you understand this, you rest from that. You don't do. You accept the gift that what he has done for us. And now he is resting because his work's done. He accomplished once and for all. We believe in what he has done. And now I rest in what he has done for us. I rest in the relationship he has given me. And so it continues. Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, wait a second. You say, well, we have that rest. Well, we do. What does it mean strive to enter the rest? It means that's the rest that I have. But this side of eternity, we work. There's an effort to somehow realize that because it goes against our culture. It goes against our nature. I won't have that perfect rest until the other side of eternity, until we're in heaven with God. But this side of eternity, I have a down payment. God says, I want you to live in the freedom. I want you to discover that more and more deeply. But that doesn't happen naturally. You have to make choices. That's what the fourth commandment is about. It's about striving to enter the rest. It's about doing the things that we need to that are go against our culture to somehow say, God, I want to live in the rest that you've created me to have. My friends, that's why remembering the Sabbath is so important. It's learning to live in the rest of God that we were created for. And that's why the church changed its celebration of Sabbath from the last day of the week to the first day. It's to remember and to celebrate God's completion of his final work of restoring creation, sealed in Jesus' resurrection, which was accomplished the first day of the week, on Sunday. And beyond that, we believe that the whole Bible was written by the Holy Spirit. And so when it describes the early churches consistently meeting on the first day of the week, we believe that was God's way of saying, okay, this is not only something they did, this is the affirmation. This is what I want you to do. Because I want you to remember not only what I've done, I want you to remember this, this Sabbath, and not only the work of creation, I want you to remember the work of recreation. And I want you to remember the true nature of rest, the true nature of the rest that I long for you to have, because it's not just about taking time off. It could be say that what we do on Sunday reveals what we believe to be our soul's deepest need. 
In a lot of ways, it does. It reveals what we really believe, uh, you know, what we do, what we pursue, what we focus on. It's what we think we need the most to restore our soul. You see, and Sabbath isn't just a matter of being still. See, that's one thing is that we, some of us have a hard time letting go of work because I think I need to do that and I get my identity in that. And, but some of us, we can look at that and it's in our hobbies or it's in our social media or it's in our entertainment or it's, it's in all the other things that it could be. And the problem is God's saying, okay, I don't want you to be busy and filling yourselves with things that you think are going to satisfy your need. I want you to realize that there's a busyness in life that's distracting you from your deepest need. We can be too, fill, too busy with entertainment and fill our minds with media and distracted by social media and, and fill our schedules so we're running from one thing to another and we're never really resting unto God. See, if the chief purpose of the Sabbath is just about resting our bodies, um, you know, then we look at that and we say, okay, then just taking 24 hours is good enough. But if the chief purpose is resting unto God, if it's, if it's disconnecting from other things that distract and, and connecting to God, that means it's not just about work. It's about saying, okay, I want to disconnect with the purpose of connecting. Let's put it another way. If it's all about taking time off, the end of the Sabbath, the purpose of the Sabbath is take a day off and rest, rest your bodies. If it's about connecting with God, that's not the purpose of the Sabbath, that's a means. It's a means to the end. So I take a day from rest so that I can connect with God, and I rest from anything that keeps me from doing that. So the purpose isn't just resting, the purpose is connecting with God, is engaging with Him. Let me maybe try to illustrate this. Okay, let's say that I, I, um, I fall in love with McDonald's. I mean, I just, you know, I'm, I, I eat there every day. You know, at least one meal. And over time, as I'm eating, I'm gaining weight, I'm losing energy, I'm going, so I go to the doctor and say, doctor, something wrong, I don't know what's wrong. He asks me about my diet, and I tell him, and he says, that's the problem. You know, what I want you to do, three months, I want you to stop eating McDonald's, don't eat at McDonald's at all, and I want you to eat a healthy diet. And if you do that, I promise you're going to feel better. I come back three months later. I say, doctor, I mean, I, I haven't ate at McDonald's, I followed your instructions. I stopped eating McDonald's and I'm still gaining weight. I still lose energy. So, well, what are you eating? Well, I gave up McDonald's and I've been going to Burger King. And, uh, and I diversified my diet. And I decided, you know, every once in a while to go with Pizza Hut, pan pizza. Man, they're great. And, and uh, you know, but I don't know why I'm, what's wrong? And he says, no, I gave you two instructions. You know, the, the, the first one is stop eating McDonald's. And then the second is go eat healthy. And if you stop eating at McDonald's and instead you go to Burger King and Pizza Hut, you're still eating burgers and fries and, and deep fried pizza. And the fact is, of course, you're not getting better. Now, here's what we have to realize. The command of the Sabbath isn't just stop working. It's connect to God. And if I stop working and then go out and I get my, throw myself in the busyness of all the other things, and I'm on the phone all the time, and on social media, and, and, and I'm and running from one thing to another, and I'm shopping, and I'm, and I'm doing all these things. All that I've done is that I've quit McDonald's, and I've gone to Burger King, and I'm wondering why I'm not feeling any better. It's not just about stopping eating the junk food. It's stop eating the junk food and focus on eating healthy. Focus on relationship with God. See, that's the Sabbath. It's resting from work and resting unto God. Again, look at the command. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. How do we keep it holy? 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's to the Lord. It's set apart to the Lord. It's dedicated to the Lord. It's not just a day of rest. It's a day of focusing on Him. It's not just a day off. You see, I could take a day off. You take a, you take a day off and, and you're not working for your employer anymore, but you're still working. You can take a day off and, and you're still doing work. You're going to the grocery store and you're going to the bank and you're you know, taking phone calls, you're answering emails, you're working on a, you know, a project at home and, and, then, you, and then you're playing and, and you're working at your play and so that you work your day so that you go, go and do this and you can do this and you're maximizing enjoyment and you're busy and you fall in the end of the day and you're tired and it's wonderful. It's great to have a day off, but that's not Sabbath. See, on a Sabbath, we're to rest and we're to focus on God. We're to make him a priority. The important thing isn't just that we don't work. It's that we set aside distractions to be able to focus on nurturing a relationship with God, to go deeper with him. Now, now the fact is, we understand even this principle in our human relationships. Specifically, let's take marriage. Right Now, if I take the example of marriage, the fact is, is that I want to have a deep connection with my wife. That takes time. And if I'm never investing the time, what happens And so often in so many of our marriages, we get so busy and we're running here and we're doing work and both have jobs and we take care of the kids and we got to take care of the, and we never have time together or we have time together, but it's watching TV and it's distracted time. And then we wonder about why we're drifting apart. And unfortunately, it's common, you know, for couples when they get married and they have kids, and then they go through the, the kids' years and they're you know, bragging about my kid's taxi and I'm doing this. We got all our kids involved in all these things. And then the kids graduate from high school and they, they're like, oh, I don't know you. And they get divorced and, because they, they've spent a lot of time together, but it's always been distracted time. And so what do we need to do? We need to have date time. We need to have time that I say, hey, Sandy, I want to have time with you. I want to set this aside. I want to be able to disconnect from distraction. So we're not doing you know, chores around the house. Maybe we're going out and we're going somewhere that we're turning off the phone. If it, if it rings, I'm going to ignore it. And I'm just focused on, on her. And the more that I focus on her, you see, the more I'm going deep in relationship. And it not only is a good date time, but if we really go deep, I'm going to reap the benefits of that. It's going to, it's going to help us go deeper so that our relationship is going to be stronger throughout the rest of the week. And the fact of the matter is, my time that I spend with her tells, really, in reality, how important she is. Because if I don't do that, I'm saying, this isn't a priority. It isn't something that's worth saying no to other things to say yes to protecting my marriage. And it's not just setting a date time, because I could say, okay, well, here's a date time. Sandy, let's go out. Okay, what are we going to do? We're going to go to the sports bar, and there's a bunch of football games, and I'm going to spend a whole time doing that. And I'm going to look at you every once in a while and ask you to go get me another drink. But that's about all my interaction with her. Now, that's not a really good date time. And some guys are saying, what's wrong with it? No, it's not a good idea. You know, that's, the thing is, is that the daytime isn't just being together. It's actually putting aside the things that distract and focusing on so that we can connect more deeply. And it means self-denial, saying no to good things because I'm saying yes to a more important thing. That's what the Sabbath is. It's about God saying, I want to be important. I want you to say no to good things, to say yes to the most important thing, the thing that is most rooting to your soul. You see, it's not only not to work, it's a call to be still. Even if you look at the word Sabbath, it actually is a, it's a Hebrew verb that they turned into a noun. 
But the verb for Sabbath literally means to cease, to stop, to stand still. It's a day where we not only stop working, but we stop doing. That we slow down from all the things that are busy and distracting. I, I think about Psalm 46. It says, be still and know that I am God. Meaning that there's a sense that, that when we're not still, we just can't connect with God. And that's the ultimate reality. And it's not just something that we do one day a week. It's something that's, that's a spirit that one day we nurture in our heart so that it impacts the rest of the week. We see it illustrated in the life of Jesus, who was constantly busy, was doing, you know, all this, had all these people calling upon him, but did he ever seem rushed? Did he ever seem harried? No, he had that stillness, the Sabbath, and the time apart from God. It's the idea that even, you know, we talked about, like, in just, in the opening illustration with the metronome, you know, that there's a sense that God has created us for a certain life. And what happens, we live in a culture that is, demanding, that is fast-paced, that is non-stop. And so it's not just, okay, well, we go through work and that's going to speed us up and the demands at work. But then when we're in between work, we, you know, we're also always listening to radio and we're you know, interacting with, especially then if you go to social media and you get your phone and distractions all the time. And then we come home and we've got all these things that we need to do at home. And then if we have kids or grandkids, they're calling for attention all the more and we've got pets and we've got all these things that speed us up and that just demand and even just listening, is this stressing you out? And just the sound of it stresses you out. Now, the fact is, if that's our life, we're really stressed out. Because the fact is, is this is what happens. This is, becomes our norm. And we're living this way. And God says, stop. Stop. Be still. Sabbath. Have a day where you stop it. And where you put aside all these distractions, not just work, all the things that would distract, all the things that would call our attention. And it's not just that we stop on that one day, but when we stop on that one day, we move it back to where we were designed. So there's an impact of slowing us down, helping us reset the pace that we were created to live. So it's not just what we do on the Sabbath. It's, it's how we think. It's a principle that really literally changes all of our lives. And so when you think about what is that principle, you see the principle is this, that we spend time, we be still with God. And then when we're still with God, ideally, we saw last week that the New Testament says that every day is sacred unto God. You know why? Because we're supposed to take some of that Sabbath and bring it in every day. So because I'm Sabbathing now, hopefully I have Sabbath time every day. I spend a little bit of quiet time with God. I spend a little time of worship. I tend, I'm more in tune with his voice. My pace is different. And that it's helping me live a more healthy pace, making good decisions. And the more that I stop, the more it impacts not only that one day, it impacts all of life. It's a foundation that lets me have a healthier life. As our culture understands it, it helps us have a healthier culture. And there's a promise in this. Let me go to this promise. Let's Isaiah chapter 58. I love this. If you turn your back, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath the delight to the holy, uh, holy day for the Lord your God honorable. Now, I want you to see that the problem isn't if you turn your back and by doing work. But he's saying, no, the problem is that you're turning your back by doing your pleasure. So again, right here, it's really clear. We break the Sabbath not only by working, but by being distracted. And here's the promise. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in your Lord. The more you do that, the more you find the true nature of your soul. And the result will be, I will make your, you ride on the heights of the earth. 
If you get this, the result will be you're going to ride on the heights of the earth. You're going to ride on the heights that you were created for. You want to understand full life? There's a big promise. If you want to say, here's a way to discover and ride on the heights of the earth, and that's what I want. He's saying, figure out the Sabbath. You're going to unlock that. Now, the hard part is that we've got to say, okay, what are the things that distract? And I'm not going to get legalistic. I don't want to get that. It would be easy to say, this is a bad thing. This is a bad thing. You shouldn't do this. These are principles, and we all have got to struggle them out ourselves. I'm struggling with it. I'm trying to figure out what's it look like for me, and I've got to make changes, and I am. But I've got to look at it and be honest. And sometimes there are things that are going to be hard to give up because there are things that, that I love the distractions. And so what can be some of those things? When we look at it, it can, you know, big news. You know, sometimes you watch too much news, and man, news distracts me away from God. Maybe that's a day where you say, I'm just going to shut it off. Or social media. You know, boy, how many of us, we've got to check this, we've got to check that. And, and that's a huge distraction. Walk away from a day. Consider just walking away, or even our phone in general. That if we're sitting there, it's always buzzing, and we're always checking things, and it's okay. You know, we existed before cell phones not that long ago, and the world went on, I think, probably a whole lot better. And for some of us, it may be the day that we say, you know, I'm just going gonna, gonna to air it. I'm, gonna, you know, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to silence and just check at the end of the day. And there's really nothing that's going to happen that is going to require my immediate... Some of it is to be hobbies. And it's not that the hobbies are bad, but if the hobby is the main, main focus of your day, and you're thinking, okay, Sunday, I've, I've got to fit in worship so I can go do this... Well, that says something about where we're really finding our, what we think our, our soul's deepest need is. Entertainment, and what are we doing? And, and it's not always entertainment, you know, it's not that all is bad, but there's some things that, well, if, it's, if it's not God-honoring, if it's taking me away from God, then I've got to say, is this really belong on Sabbath? And I'm not going to say, there's a lot more we can do. I'm not going to, you know, what are work? I mean, it's like work around the house. Is that, well, is it relaxing? Is there certain things for me? I'm not going to do on Sunday because that's work for me. I'm not going to tell you what you need to do, but I tell you, I think we all need to struggle with this. This is as countercultural as a command as we could ever imagine. It is something that is so foreign to our ears, it goes so deeply against our nature. And yet God says this is a foundational truth that we need to understand. And it's not just a warning of, okay, if you take it out, it's going to fall apart around you. It comes with a promise. Now you, want to, you want to let God make you ride on the heights of the earth? You want that? I don't know about you, but I want that. I want to ride on the heights of the earth. I want to be able to live and enjoy life in such a way that, man, I'm enjoying it, riding on the heights of the earth. And if God says, okay, this is the one thing I want you to do that will help you unlock that, man, that, that might be hard. There's some self-denial. There's some hard, hard decisions that I've got to make. But it's worth struggling to unlock that blessing. And I don't know about you, but I look forward to to digging deep into this and even asking some hard questions and, and hopefully by God's grace, unlocking what it means to live in this kind of blessing of God.